On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, Neil Lumsden, formerly of Brock Athletics, formerly of the World Cycling Championship, formerly the business manager of the Hamilton Ticats, formerly on the Amazing Race Canada, formerly a Canadian Football League Hall of Famer. I can stop there. You get the idea. He joins me. We've got all kinds of stuff to talk about, and only a little bit is sports. Stay with us. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. It's the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML in studio with Neil Lumsden, who uh, he has so many former job titles. Well, easy how you say that. Well, I mean, I mean you have done many things well, and that's why the reason you I sound like I can't stand one. Well, well, there is maybe some <laughs> depends on depends on the situation, but well, um, your last job though, your most recent job, let's put yes. it that way, not last, uh, your most not recent last, job no. was as the athletics director at Brock University, and the reason I mentioned that one in particular is because it was a really interesting story that came out today that McGill University has announced it's changing its team names, its men's team names from the Red Men. It's going to call them. They don't know. I don't think they announced what they're going to call them. Some people have suggested, why don't you just call them the Reds? Keep it simple. Yeah. Uh, they I don't Pretty know boring, yet. boring. But boring, but at least you could keep all your colors and everything else. Uh, this was inevitable, wasn't it? In 2019, I this guess. was probably inevitable. I, yeah, the sensitivities uh, to me have gone past the point of being reasonable. And I, and, and I certainly do understand, and you know, I'm sure I'm going to get in a bit of trouble for this, but at some point, uh, a tradition that is not what I, what I would say suggest is abusing anything, but it has a tradition attached to it. Um, and unless there is a group that is so adamant, and I don't mean by a group, one or two people, I mean a solid group of people that say, you know, that's inappropriate. Uh, and then it should be examined, but uh, being politically correct on everything, uh, costs a lot of dough. Uh, I don't think it's absolutely necessary because I think we're overly sensitive. Part of the question is, and part of the thing that was, the, it sounds like there wasn't a ton of blowback on this, mainly because on a university campus now, you don't want to be seen as the person who's arguing for the politically incorrect no. uh, issue. Right. But part of the, the question here was, okay, they were called the Red Men. Was there anything that was seen as negative, seen as embarrassing, seen as mocking of... Even if, and I want to go to it in just a second about what the origin of his name was, but was there anything mocking about indigenous with this? And, and to the best we can tell, no, there, that wasn't. So here's the thing. Let me, let me go to this because I, I pulled this up before I came in today because uh, I wanted to find out about what this was all about. I went to McGill's webpage to look mm-hmm. up the origin of the name Redman. Right. Weirdly, they've taken this page down, which I thought was odd because even though they're changing the name of it, it explains something that is different from the story that people are saying right now. And here, let me read it exactly. It takes a second or two. Origin of the name Redman. A look into the history of the name of the nickname Redman reveals that it first appeared in the 1928 Old McGill yearbook produced for the 1926 season. How that happened, I don't know, but anyway. <laughs> and was written as two words, Red Men, in reference to the red school colors and red jerseys worn by McGill teams. The moniker was first used by Montreal area newspapers in 1929. Over the ensuing years, the term evolved into one word, Redmond, and was adopted by the university as an official nickname. After a further look into the history of the nickname, Redmond by Dr. Stanley Frost, McGill's official historian, he stated that in ancient, this is a quote, in ancient times, Celts were known as the Red Men because of their hair. Our own Red Men were no doubt Celts in honor of James McGill's Scottish descent. Does it change anything then 
that the origin of the name, while it may have a connotation today, was never about native people or indigenous people. That's, that's why well, it's being Well, the pure interpretation as you read it should stand. That this was Don't not a native thing. This was not an indigenous thing. No, based on, I mean, that wasn't, I mean, I'm assuming that just wasn't posted as a result of, you know, them, them receiving criticism. No, it's the opposite. Or, it was right. taken down when they got criticism. Right. So I, I would say that to me, it makes perfect sense. And, and then why would you change? Again, if the explanation is pure and honest and for, and very clear, then why are people getting upset about it? Now, or maybe they're just, maybe it's, maybe they're not, maybe they're not getting pressure. I don't know if they are or not. Maybe just the, they think it's time. The Queen's Golden Gales aren't the Golden Gales anymore. They're the Gales. Mm-hmm. I mean, people why? do adjust. Do you know well, why? No, I don't know why. I don't either. I, and I know so, they changed, but I don't right, know why they so, changed it. Um, York Yeomen are no longer yo- the Yeomen. They're the Lions. Right. I mean, people can change for a lot of different reasons from branding or associate, whatever. And, I, and I'm fine with that. But I'm also fine with the fact and the definition that you've read to everyone that there was no need to, with respect to any pressure, I don't believe anyone had a right to pressure them because of the interpretation is, is in its purest sense, accurate and makes sense. And they're not dancing around something. This is it. I mean, you know, if, if it's a horse, call it a horse. I mean, that's what this is. For So for me, so if, I don't get upset about that. Well, no, and... and had the original reading of this been something else, uh, it would have probably made things a little easier, a little more clear. But this, because it's not, because it's not an indigenous thing, even though now, I mean, we are sensitive for sure. Mm-hmm. And we do have different terms. Terms take different meanings over time. And you would never, I don't think in modern days, walk up to an indigenous person and say, no. you're a red man. That's not a, that, no. that's an old, old, old school thing, but that's not what this is. And, and so it does become a question of, do you change regardless because there could be an interpretation that someone might have? And we don't worry about the history. If someone could interpret this wrong, we're going to change it. But Neil, we know there are other places that have really resisted doing this. The Cleveland Indians, the Washington Redskins, yep. the Florida State Seminoles, the Atlanta Braves. Uh, you played a few years on a team called the Edmonton Eskimos that has at times come under criticism for not changing the name. What is the right time to change the name, if at all? When, when Not just that one, all of them. I mean, when, when should you change it? Well, I, I respect McGill for doing what they want, if that's what they want to do. And I think that there there's another side of this for McGill that can maybe rejuvenate and add some spark to what they do and how they represent themselves uh, in sport and, and just in general within the community if, the, if they're active and they refer to not only their students but their student athletes as, you know, Redmond. Um, if you want to fill your boots, I, I think it's great because they could have a lot of fun with it, no question. But there is a time, and I think that, you know, the, the last thing, I, and I've, th- I've been thinking about this, that, I would never, ever want to, and I don't think I ever have offend anyone in this respect. And cause I, I just, I think I'd, I'd like to think I think before I speak most of the time, uh, other people might suggest otherwise, but, um, so when it comes to something like this, there is a point as in the Washington Redskins, um, where's the pressure coming from? Why is the pressure being put on them? And I think Dan Snyder, the owner, has to be realistic and sit down and say, you know what, it is time. Unless he states a case or unless he has support from the community 
that balances things off from with respect to um, – I mean, I don't know where exactly the pressure is coming from him. Is it a local? Is it a national? But see, that's one where I don't think there's any subtlety. No, but I don't think there's any subtlety as opposed to the Redmen from McGill. That one is clearly an indigenous thing. Certainly. But how long have have the Redskins uh, football team been pushed to change their name? This start 10 years ago? Probably. Did it start five years ago? Uh, I mean, I think in in that respect... I think he has to show a little bit more respect for the community and the indigenous community and understand and see where they're coming from. And I'm sure he's heard it, but, you know, based on the way he runs his football team, I don't think he cares, But what, which what, is a, a whole other conversation. But you have to be sensitive to the environment, and um, uh, clearly he doesn't think it matters. See, where I look at it is when it gets to a point when it's uncomfortable to say, it's the time to change it. And I think that for a lot of people, it's uncomfortable to say. The Cleveland Indians is a really interesting one for a number of reasons. There are people, there are broadcasters who will not say the team name now. There are Blue Jay broadcasters who, when they call the game, they call them the Cleveland Baseball Club. They won't say the name. Mm. But the history, the story behind the Cleveland Indians name, allegedly, is that it was named after one of their first superstar players, Alex Sokoloxis, who was an indigenous, a native player. And so the name was given to the team as an honorary thing. So they weren't mocking the indigenous side of it. They were respecting. honoring and respecting it. So, but does it matter at a certain point? If, if, if people don't know the history, does it matter then what the name Is, becomes? Well, will Indian motorcycles ever have to change their name? Good question. Good question. The funny part about, and not funny, ha ha, funny, ironic about someone like the Cleveland Indians is that they have a history of, they were not originally the Indians. They were, they were been a few others, but one of them was the Spiders. They were the Cleveland Spiders. <laughs> Seems to me that if you are that team and you said, you know what, we're going to do what some people want to get. We, you know, it's time for a name change. The money they could make on a branding change. Oh, it's massive. And especially with something like the Spiders, where you have the, the chances for logos and everything else. It's actually you, a pretty good name. You could make billions of dollars if you're the Cleveland Spiders all of a sudden. I don't know why you wouldn't want to do it. And then, you know, and you, I mean, I know there's people who will say about the history and the tradition and everything else, and that's fine. I get that. But you're not getting rid of the team. And is anybody who's a Cleveland fan going to say, you know, I no longer will support this team because you changed the name? I don't think so. They might be mad for a week. I don't think so either. And you're right. From a revenue perspective, positioning branding, I mean, that's why secondary and third tertiary jerseys were developed to sell more stuff. Yep. I mean, and to give yourself, as in the franchise, a different look, a, a different slant on what you do. And, and it's a wonderful way to do it. I mean, it really is. It's, it's, it's aggressive. It is uh, creative. And, and it fits in sport. It really does. Uh, you're right. The, the spiders could be, I mean, you could have all sorts of fun with that. That'd be, it, the possibilities would be endless. And could how they many- win, though? Well, they, they, they never have, or at least not for, what, 1945, yeah, I think was the while. last time for, is it 45 years? But I mean, every kid, every kid in North America would want a Cleveland mm-hmm. Spiders shirt if you did it right. You're right. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. want to ask you about this. Uh, do you know who Jack Ma is? You ever heard the name Jack Ma? Not He's not sure. really well known to a lot of people, but he is the guy who runs Alibaba, holding, a group holding. It's one of the biggest companies in the world. He's one of the richest men in the world. He is kind of the Chinese Warren Buffett, I guess, or mm-hmm. Bill Gates or whomever else. Anyway, uh, he did an interview 
the other day and he said, if you want to work in our company, for our company, uh, don't come thinking you're working nine to five, Monday to Friday, and that's it. If you want to be successful and you want to come and work at our company, you should be expecting to work nine to nine, six days a week. They call it 996 there. <laughs> and he says, you know what? We are, we're not looking for people who are mediocre. We want great people. Well, this has brought huge blowback in some corners from people saying, this is not right in 2019. We should be striving for a work-life balance as opposed to a workplace grinding culture, get ahead kind of thing. What do, what do you think about, I mean, I, this I think is an extreme for sure. I think his 12 hours a day, six days a week is an extreme, unless you're an articling law student. Um, or you're in sport. Or you're in sport. I mean, we just mentioned Tiger Woods. I'm sure that he played 12 hours a day, worked on his craft six days a week, seven days a week for a lot of his life. But do you, do you have a problem, I guess, with the idea that certain people for their company say, you know what, we want people who are not so much worried about their work-life balance right now. We want people who are going to grind and work their butt off for our company. I, I have no problem with anyone setting their, their sights as high as they want to and willing, and then are willing to do what it takes to reach those hikes. And, and it doesn't matter what the occupation, what the business. Uh, it, to me, if, if that is part of someone's DNA and the fact that he says it would discourage a lot of people, which is a good thing because he would say, well, I don't want those people anyways. Uh, I want the people that are willing to do this. I, I, I don't think he would be saying for the next 25 years, but maybe he is. Who knows? And if people are, are willing to do that and frankly enjoy that, depending on what they are doing, I, again, go crazy. I think that I understand the balance that you threw in there a minute ago. That's really important in life. But there are a lot of people that work their tail off, some who have to, to survive um, and work that way in the job that they're doing now. And I, it could be a number of them. Uh, young lawyers uh, overseas in London. Uh, a good friend of mine's daughter was over there. She was working 16, 17 hours a day, five, six, seven that's days not, a week. That's not uncommon for a young lawyer at a good law firm who right. wants to get and, a good job. And she was willing to do it. And then she decided at this point or at a specific time, now's my chance to get out and be a little bit more what she would consider normal, start her life. Uh, she met a guy, they got married. She wants to have a family. There's nothing wrong with that either. And if, if he is in a position, Mr. Ma, to select those and find those kinds of people, good for him. I'm not one of them, but- Were you ever? I bet you were. Well, I think that, I said when you were, were talking about it in sports, you know, I don't think people understand how much time goes into either a management or preparation when it comes to sport. Now, it's not 12 months of the year. It's typically during a season and part of an off season, depending on what your occupation is and what role you play. But I, I know a lot of people that have worked really hard and continue to work hard, but most of them love it and do find a balance some way. And this is the balance the off season for them. This is the balance the downtime based, again, whatever sport or what the business of sport they're in. You have to find that balance or you burn people out. Or you have to, as the company or the owner, find ways to take that pressure off of them and not grind them to the ground. When I read this story and then I saw the blowback to this, Honestly, my first response was, okay, I would have a great problem with this if this was a North Korean prisoner of war camp where you don't have a choice <laughs> and where they're marching you out in the middle of winter to work and grind and grind and grind day after day. But this is a voluntary 
thing. You would have a problem with that? I or? would. I, I Yeah, I have a bit of a problem with the North Korean prisoner of war camps. I do. Well, the prisoner of war, yes. Yeah. So or I or prisoner camp, prison camps prisons? anyway. Oh, yeah, but get them working. <laughs> <laughs> I almost got you going on almost. that one, didn't I? <laughs> but but to, if you are someone who has a passion or, frankly, wants to succeed in life or is willing to do this and you say, this is fine by me. Right. And then he, here's where this thing gets really interesting because we have people now who they're, I don't know if the word is jealousy. I don't There's there, there is a level of class warfare that we have in our society right now. And I look at this and I think, you know, if you want to work, if you are willing and you want to work nine or 12 hours a day, six days a week, and that makes you wealthier, that makes you more successful. If you're willing to do that, I've got no problem with you having more money than me or someone else. No, and, and if I'm one of those people, I would say to those that are complaining, well, then get out of my way. If you don't want to do it, that's okay. That's what choices are all about. We have the option, most of us do, to make choices. We all do at, at different times. Some of them more serious than others based on occupation or what they're doing or family. You know, there's a, that's a variety of things. But we have the opportunity to make a choice. And if someone makes that choice and someone is critical of that choice, I think they got to back off. Again, there, there are too many people that think they have a right to be heard just because they have an opinion. Whether the opinion is valid or not, I don't know. And that's, to me, where this is crossing the line. Don't be critical of, of, of this fellow and his company. If you don't like it, go do what you want to do. somewhere else. Just, yeah, go somewhere else. It's real simple. I, I've seen it many times before in athlete preparation, in young students at Brock grinding and putting time in and doing extra work and working in the community. People say, why? Well, they want to do it. They want to make a difference. They want to be great. And whatever they're going to do, they're going to find their way through that. Is it for the next 20 years? No. But it's important to them to make a difference. Whenever I see someone driving by my house in a, or along the street in an expensive car or living in a big, big house or whatever, not all the time, some of it is inherited, of course, but other times you look and you go, you know what? I get that to get that, you have had to do an awful lot Mm -hmm. of work. And I'm not going to be jealous of you because you have chosen when I'm at home watching TV some night that you're working or when I take a week off that you're working. If that's what you want to do and your payment is that you get to have those things and that's your choice, I'm not going to begrudge you that. Well, no, that's why there's lots of flavors of ice cream. I mean, we're not the same we're, and thank goodness we're not the same. Uh, everyone is driven by uh, in, in different ways for different reasons. And I certainly, and to that end, you're talking about that. I don't begrudge it. I, I think it's great when people have success. You want people to be happy, hopefully, and, and what they're doing and how they're doing it. I mean, Mr. Ma is just telling people, basically, um, when you come here, you're going to make me more money, and this is how you're going to do it, folks. And you're going to make more of yourself. Yeah. But at the end of it, but you're making me more money. That's true. Strange question, maybe, but I mean, because you're in the Canadian Football Hall of Fame as a player, so you obviously had a very good career. But was there, were you ever, did it ever bother you when someone was a better player than you? No. Either on your team or an opponent, did it ever bother you when you saw someone who, either because of just pure talent or because they've worked so hard, did it ever bother you that you weren't the best player on the field? No, I, but, but the best player on the field doesn't win. The best team wins. And if you're if you look at it, what I would suggest correctly, you get a lot of really really good players together, and versus a team that's got a couple of great players and the rest are okay. Slot me in team number one, 
24-7. Did it ever bother you when you'd be in the weight room and some player would leave before he did the amount of work that you did? No. No, because that's what you're going to... I mean, I, I would hope that that was the person I was competing with, frankly. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Take extra time. You know, here's a, a real quick funny story that, uh, you know, years ago when Jesse got, my son got into bobsledding and he came home for Christmas, came back from Europe, um, was spending time with us, had four or five days as we try to always be home for Christmas as a family. And Christmas Day, we opened presents and do all that. And then he's, he's taken off and, and his mom said, where are you going? He said, I got to go over to Assumption High School. What are you going to Assumption for? I got to train. Jesse, it's Christmas Day. Mom. I got to go train. In four days, we're back on the circuit. We want to be, and he wanted to be the, one of the best brakemen on the planet, and that's what you have to do. And people would say, well, that's silly. You can take one day off. No, he couldn't take one day off because that's how he thought. And to, and to suggest and begrudge or to say that's wrong isn't fair. But he got, look at the, the things. He got special treatment. Neil, he got to travel the world on Canada's dime and he got <laughs> that's to, what it was. Yeah. No, but, but that, that's the, that is the, the thing you get is these athletes, they get special treatment and these business people, they get special treatment. And this is the part about it that drives me a little bit nuts. There are some athletes, there's no question who just have such natural talent that they don't have to put in as much work, but there's a lot, most 99%, the reason they are at the athletic level they are, or at the business level they are, is because they have worked and you only see the finished product and the benefits, not what's gone into it. And then you get jealous of them and you say, well, why are you getting that? Well, you don't I, look at 12 I would, hours I would, a day. I would, I would discuss the special treatment with you till the cows come home based on when it's not hockey in Canada. And we can tell you stories about how special they, and how hard they worked. But the fact is when you're at that level, you're already great, frankly. And they work that much harder to be even better and representing their country. And that's one of the things that for him was very important. The fact that he had a maple leaf on his back or on his helmet or whatever it was, that's what it was all about for him. And there's no greater pride than when you can do that. And it was the same when he was with the Tire Cats and when he was like, that's how he thinks. And when you surround people that yourself with think like that, as I had the fortune of in, in many situations in life, it's perfect. You d don't give me a million bucks, or if you want to, go ahead, but give me that environment any day of the week. This is the point of this and why I even brought this one up today is because so much it seems that we have this issue in our society of people begrudging mm -hmm. the rich. And look, at, at times I get that entirely. But before you do, if that's something, if, if watching someone who's driving a nice car or living in a nice house is bothering you. Then work I harder. Go, I go back to this and not everyone can, but I go back to this and say, look, if you're working nine to nine, six days a week and you're happy to do this and you're not feeling like you're being a slave to this and you then make more money or do better in your life. Good for them. I'm not going to begrudge you for no. that. That is something that you've made that decision and you've made the sacrifice. I'm not going to be jealous of you for that. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Today, this is an anniversary today, 1980, April the 12th, 1980. Well, in addition to it being my son's birthday, by the way, 21st birthday. So happy birthday to Caleb. Caleb, happy birthday. Uh, who was at Brock, who Neil uh, was just down there. I was just down there today with, yeah. uh, with him having lunch. But uh, August, uh, sorry, April the 12th, 1980 was the day that Terry Fox dipped his leg into St. John's, the Atlantic Ocean and St. John's and started on his Marathon of Hope. And I, I think about this often when you come to anniversaries, either of the start of the race every April 12th mm -hmm. or of the time he had to pull up in Thunder Bay or when they have the Terry Fox run. Where is... 
this generation's Terry Fox? Boy, that's a great question. Um, I, I, I see the commercials. I've seen the video. I've watched specials. Uh, I am, and I was then, and as I was with Rick Hansen, uh, and met him when he was going across and when he came through Alberta. Uh, and my kids were with me and my wife. It was great. Um, you would have been playing at that time, right? Yeah. You would have been playing for the Eskimos. Right. Did the, you ever meet uh, Terry Fox? No, never met Terry Fox. I didn't know if he had come through a game or anything because he did no. a few. Yeah, I, I, I find it very emotional. And I, and I don't know if there is a, um, a more resilient or was a more resilient, tougher individual ever on the planet than this guy. Taking, you know war piece out of the equation here it um it's remarkable and when you see what he had, what he did and what he started um you, you hope that in some ways and you know there's one thing we don't know is what what we're all where we're all going to go we hope there is a great place for us to go and if there is a great place and he's looking down he's got to be thinking boy i did i was okay i did a pretty good thing because it's a uh, the only word that comes to mind is Herculean. And and I hope this there are, are I know there are people out there now, young people, that have the ability to do something great. I know they are. I saw a lot of them at Brock University. Uh, but that was really special. And to just do it um, when you're physically capable, let alone doing it when you've got an artificial leg, one that wasn't that sophisticated. No. And when you watch him ran, I can only imagine what his hips and his lower back was going through every time that the, his artificial foot hit the ground. Yeah, I mean, years ago, just... I was in BC for work, and they have a little Terry Fox library in Port Coquitlam, where he's from. And mm-hmm. I mean, it's 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 just a public library, and they have a small room off the main room, and they have one of his artificial legs in there with a T-shirt, the marathon of all. And it, you're absolutely right; it is it is one step up from a pirate's peg leg. I mean, it's not, yeah. there's not much to it. It was a couple of canvas straps and some pieces of wood and that, it could not have been comfortable to run on that. I can't, I can't tell you what the run was. I couldn't get, draw it on a map, but and it, it, what should happen is every place he went through, every community he stopped should have a statue of Terry Fox in my mind. And there is no question of the impact he made on on Canada and the world with respect to what he was able to do under, I can't even imagine the, the, how difficult it was physically for him and mentally and emotionally. And then knowing whether he, you know, he wasn't going to get out of this and still doing it and unselfishly putting himself out there. Every community where he stopped and went through, there should be a statue in his honor. What made it, what made that so unique though? Was it him and what he'd gone through? Was it him being a cancer survivor with one leg? Was it the fact that no one had ever seemingly that I knew of done this kind of thing before? Was it the, what was it that made it so Well, it's unique? the unselfishness. I think it goes to the, no, I, I don't recall anyone taking on this kind of challenge in support of raising money. So after there have been a few that have tried, oh, but after, not before. Oh, certainly. But yeah. I'm thinking, was he the... Uh, no, I don't know of any before him. Neither do there I. There might and, have and been, I but I don't stand, know of any. I stand corrected yeah. if if I if he sure. wasn't. Uh, and please tell me who. But yeah, it's just well, the first in anything is always in most cases pretty spectacular. Uh, you know, and so, I don't know why it popped in my head the first quad and figure skating, uh, the first you know in any event the uh, it's it's pretty it's pretty awesome. People become awestruck, but what he did, 
And the more I think about it, uh, I mean, it, it's, it borders on emotional for me when I think about it because I wish I had half his courage. So again, I go back to my question, where is this generation's Terry Fox? Are we so cynical that we couldn't do something like this? Are we, because not, not that we couldn't have the people out there like him. I'm sure there are people like him out there. there. There's no question out there. Not, not a ton, but there's some, but if, is it that if someone tried to do something like this, we are so cynical now and so jaded that we would just mock them and shoot them down and criticize them so they wouldn't even bother. Like where, cause there's gotta be somebody out there who's got this great idea that could be something like this. There has to be. Yeah, but I don't think it came from an idea, and, and it did, but it came from something a little bit deeper and different. This wasn't, uh, you know, as we would look at it now, a, a strategic plan of uh, we got to do this, 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 and this is how. This was something that was as pure as the driven snow. So is that the difference? Because today, if you were going to do it, you would have a marketing team and you would have a planning team and you would have insurance and you would have police to escort you better than they had the, it was so innocent almost that it seems like you couldn't do that again now. People, I, there are people out there, and I know a couple of them that have done runs to support causes, long runs, um, but they don't get the publicity because, you know, it's just they're, they're doing it for all the right reasons. They are raising money because the people around them and their network and then that secondary, maybe even tertiary network. And certainly with social media, you can, get, you can gain momentum from a fundraising perspective far quicker than Terry Fox ever could have or Terry Fox's team, and which was really his parents, wasn't it? Um, well, it was his brother and it was his friend and it eventually became uh, a guy, and I, I'm, I wish I was remembering his name, I'll look it up in a moment, who became his PR person, but who was who joined in late, just arrived. I mean, it was up until then, it was Terry Fox and his buddy, Doug, right. Doug Allward, Allward. I, uh, I wish I could remember. But but there are lots of people out there that are doing extraordinary things for their community, raising funds. There's no question about it. But at that level, um, I, I don't know who, I don't know who's got the guts to do it. One other thing, I hate this word. I, I truly hate this word, but I'm going to use it anyway because I don't know of a better word that fits this. How much of that event do we remember because it was so organic that it wasn't a made for TV event? Mm -hmm. It wasn't a big time thing that it just was two guys starting to do something ridiculous. Well, it started with someone thinking, thinking that they could make a difference and, and that making a difference as, you know, a hundred thousand fold, he would never have guessed, nor would his team at that point. Uh, I mean, there, there is video, there's someone that documented it and, and knew parts. it was important yeah, parts, parts of it, but not all of it. So, I mean, it's part of his story that we get a chance to see on a r- fairly regular basis, certainly at the same time every year. But if you look into there's video, uh, I, I, more people should, more young people should spend time on their phones looking at examples of, uh, that would inspire people versus along with looking at the dopey things where people are making mistakes on YouTube. Like, there has to be more people to inspire out there. And I don't know if there's enough of them these days like that. But again, to go back to the organic, to use the word twice that I hate so No, but so it's much. true, but you're right. But, but today, if you were going to start doing this, even if you had the exact same mental place as Terry Fox, mm-hmm. that this was purely a, I got to do something to better the world and I have this crazy idea you know there would be somebody alongside videotaping every single step you took and there would be a marketing team and there would Mm -hmm. be a website set up with a GoFundMe page and all this stuff. Terry Fox 
started this thing. I think if I recall correctly, there was one interview done with him the day that he started from someone out in Newfoundland who happened to be a local reporter who did a radio interview. And then you really never heard about him again until Ontario. Well, I think that's because... That would pe- never happen. But now. I think they 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 shortchanged his, the human spirit of what he carried with him. I, I mean, think about this. He dips his, his toe in and says, I'm going across Canada. And you'd look at him, even if he had two good legs at the time, most people would say, okay, now stop yeah, it. Yeah. Uh, Wake okay, us we'll up say, when you get halfway. Yeah, yeah, call us from the hotel and we'll, you know, whatever. But to look at him and with one good leg and one leg that had, I guess, right from the hip, right, this old... Um, whatever you would, I want to say orthotic, but you know, artificial leg. Mm-hmm. And you go, oh yeah, there's no way. People, I'm sure that when, and the, of course, there wouldn't have been that many people that knew about it to begin with because there wasn't that media momentum there was none like of there it. is now. None of it. Um, he really, every step. It seemed it, very innocent, the whole thing. Oh, very innocent. Very innocent compared. And, <clears throat> but that me. goes back to the human spirit part of it. It wasn't about, look at me. It was, look at what I'm going to do. Se- several, hold on. <coughs> Sorry. Choking to death here. Uh, several years ago, I went out and did a story on, I don't know if you remember the name, Steve Fonio. Oh, absolutely. So Steve Fonio was the guy who came yes. afterwards. Also a cancer survivor, curly hair, same thing. Thought he would be, and, and I, I spent a week with Steve Fonio out in the West Coast, who had actually lived in Hamilton for a bit of time. And when he told the story, and I mean, his, his story it was it was difficult because it was not the Terry Fox story. It was a guy who got himself in trouble afterwards mm-hmm. and drunk driving and drugs and all kinds of other things. But he just at the start when we were talking, started talking about some of the things that he didn't even realize. He goes, when he dipped his foot, because he also had a prosthetic leg, right. he dipped it in the ocean and he goes, within the first two days it had rusted. Never dawned on him and he only had one leg and one spare and stuff like this. He goes, you had no idea how cold it was running out there. We weren't even prepared for the sure. cold. All these things that as he's talking, he's telling Terry Fox's story as well, unintentionally. You don't, it was so innocent. And I just, when I asked the question about where is this generation's Terry Fox, I don't, I, I just don't think we could have one because we've become so technologically adept. We've become so tied into social media. that I don't think we could ever have that level of innocence again that would capture us the same way, no matter what somebody did. We're surrounded by sophistication at all levels. And again, going back to the purest sense of making a difference from the, from the, from the, the purest of a human spirit of taking on a challenge. It can't, it can never happen that way again. Just like, you know, staying in the sport, you, you, you'll never see a guy like Gordie Howe again. You'll never see a guy like Bobby Hull again because the sport won't allow it. But there's greatness still in the wake of those people as there is greatness in the wake of Terry Fox. You just hope you see more of it. It won't be the same, but we hope that it's going to happen and at whatever level. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. We were just watching on the TV monitor in the studio, Tiger Woods finishing his round. Neil, those... Golf Channel, CBS people, man, they are in heaven right now. He's, I think he's in second place leading into the weekend. This is this is their dream right now. Well, for the folks doing ratings golf. mean revenue. Yep. No, he is, uh, this is, this is as ideal as it gets for, and, and a lot of other big names on the leaderboard as well right yes. now. So it's not Tiger Woods and a bunch of nobodies. This, uh, this could be pretty good for them. 
Uh, speaking of sports, I mean, I can't have you here without talking a little bit about sports. And you just finished uh, three years at Brock? Yes. Three years as yep. athletics director at Brock. So you, I mean, you went to University of Ottawa, won a, a Vanier Cup there. So you know the Canadian university system from... 30 years ago. Now you've been back. You had Jesse go through, so you mm-hmm. saw it from 20 years ago. Now you're there with hands-on. Uh, has anything changed as far as, <laughs> and, and I don't mean, uh, I know that's a ridiculous question. Let me, let me finish. Has anything changed as far as people's perception in this country of Canadian university athletes? Because there is still, I believe, a sense that if, if your next door neighbor is an athlete and they say, oh, I'm going down to play in the NCAA on a scholarship, holy cow, that's amazing. Versus if I'm going to McMaster to play a basketball, they go, oh, that's nice. Has that changed at all? I, it has changed, but not, not for the better. Uh, I think that, you know, um, and, and I always come back to this point uh, when McMaster's men's volleyball team, who are rated top five on an ongoing basis, really well coached, great program, uh, and they host Ohio State, who is in the upper echelon, maybe even ranked Depending one or two, champions usually, and been yep. champions, and uh, they come here and they get beat uh, by McMaster on a regular basis, or McMaster goes down. It, isn't it? Isn't it strange how little town in Ontario, Hamilton, Ontario, home of McMaster, can take on Ohio State University, and where they've got all the great athletes, and we're not as good. And I've always I've said for years the only thing they have they as the United States have over us is volume. Uh, they have volume and money, volume and money. But the volume as far as talent goes, there for our one great one they've got thirteen or fourteen of them. It's just math. So when we produce athletes, we produce very good ones, just not as many. And the not as many, unfortunately, translates into they're so much better, so the quality is better. Uh, I've seen it. I saw it when I was in university. I saw it when Jesse was at Mac, and I certainly saw it at Brock, where the quality of, of the athlete that we have, again, we haven't got the volume, but we've got very good, and I'll use the word student athlete, because it's important that you know kids don't get to play unless they're academically eligible. It's very clear in Canada. You don't you don't get in, number one, if you haven't got the marks, and you don't stay in. You can stay in school, but if you have to be suspended academic, because of your academic standard, then you, are, you will not play. I mean, it's, it's not, well, we'll see. No, no, this is how it's done in Canada. And I think people should t- take great pride in that. Having said that, that doesn't mean and doesn't diminish the skill level. And I've seen some in all sports, certainly at Brock, from hockey to wrestling to basketball to volleyball, uh, I mean, curl. I mean, we have some, or they have some phenomenal athletes that I'd match up one-on-one with anybody. Well, and you, you, know, you mentioned wrestling. I mean, Brock has won, what, like 77 straight wrestling championships well, in few. this country? Something like that. A I don't few, know. Yeah. They, 11 or 12 at least, maybe 13 in a row. They've won national championships. But that's an individual sport. And that's one where you look and you say, you know, Canadian athletes, if it's one-on-one, just our best against your best, we have a chance. The team thing, because again, a volume, we're never, our best football team is never going to beat a top U.S. football team. You just don't have the numbers of people playing at the highest level. But can, how does, how then do you get people to be interested? How do you get local people 
to actually say this is worth watching as opposed to just, I'll just tune in and watch my I don't U.S. Think football. We, I don't think we sell our stars enough, not nearly enough, that they're, they are there and we don't promote them. I, and there are, li- there are little things, whether they're catalogs and the, the people we do business with on an ongoing basis that supply us with equipment. And when they put catalogs together to sell us that equipment, uh, they're either using pro athletes or an athletes, but they're not using you sport athletes. They should be our athletes in that book. We're doing business with them, and if you want us to buy, then you know what? Little quid pro quo here. You you use our athletes to sell because we have great athletes in this country, and we have to promote the fact that we have that. And that star power thing, I think, works. And someone said to me year, you know, a, a couple years back, in the early 2000s, uh, there were more prominent U-sport at that point, CIS, but you, now U-sport athletes and recognizable athletes than there are now. And you think, well, I'm not sure if that's true, but I do know back then. I bet it been, is. I bet it is, and I bet it is because Canadian University Sports has fallen off of television largely because it costs right. a lot to produce and the ratings aren't yep. there. And NCAA Sports has gotten more and more coverage because these com- these stations need to fill time and that's one that's thing right. they can put on there. So I, b- I absolutely believe that it's true. So I think we can go back and sell our stars on an ongoing basis and sell uh, who has played and what they've done. I, I really think that's important. Y- you know, universities in the United States do that on their own. They promote their own, they sell their own, they bring them back um, as alumni to show people, look what we produce. Look who came here and played hockey or wrestled or played football. Look at the kind of people we attract. You want to be one of those people, don't you? Because that's what we do here at Michigan or Ohio State or Florida. That's a mindset and an attitude. And they're not afraid to use sport to their advantage. Uh, You know, again, I mentioned a few minutes ago, the fact that in, in Canada we take academics more seriously, I think is huge and really proud of that. The, the young athletes and just the students themselves, what we produce coming out of our universities. It's incredible. Your son's one of them. But there is nothing wrong with blowing your horn when we have a lot of academic, all Canadians, that are also all Canadians in their sport. And I, I don't think people know enough about that. And that's our fault. We also have a great challenge, though, a great difficulty. I would say a complete failure in doing the one thing that the American schools do really well, which is engaging the alumni to not only come back and watch sports. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, when you were at university, now because you played, you will always say I'm a University of Ottawa alum. I don't know that when there's a University of Ottawa game on, or any other university for that matter, that the people who went there all go, oh, I got to stop and watch because I'm a... U of O alum, the GGs are playing, I got to watch. We don't do that here. We don't have that. And that, that's not just fans in the stands. That is big money of donations that allows for other things as well. We've, we've completely missed on this one. I don't know why. Well, and, and I think you're right. And not everybody is missed. It's not a complete swing and a miss, but I personally, I think the, the missing comes from, and I'll use the University of Ottawa as an example. I, I chair the alumni, the football alumni, the GG alumni, and have for the last couple of years. And, and I've said this to them, so I'm not saying anything out of school. And a good, a good buddy of mine made a phone call to me a couple of months back, and he said, you know what? The only time I hear from these guys is I get an email asking for more money. There is no relationship. Sports is built around relationships. And when you create relationships with people and you keep bringing them back, as I mentioned before, and that we're proud of you and we want you to come back, I'm not going to ask you for money every time you come in the door. 
I'm just not going to do it because that's not what this is about. If I engage you and create that relationship and you see the importance of what you, how you represent yourself and how we represent you and how important you are, then when we do have an ask and it'll be the right ask at the right time, it'll probably be fulfilled. But we just can't keep firing emails to people and say, well, it's that time again. It's Giving Tuesday. You gave us you know, $200 last year. Can you give it again? So you, when you see the phone ring and you recognize it, you don't even pick it up. Well, I know why they're calling. Well, and I've had alumni at the University of Ottawa, uh, a couple guys that played in the 2000 team, the other Vanier Cup winning team, other than us from 75, and said to me as part of our group, I, I only hear from that uh, when they want something. And if you don't engage... You haven't got a prayer. And the United States have done a fantastic job of engagement uh, to their ex, to their student athlete when they're there and their ex-student athletes for many years to come. And that's where I think we miss the boat. But you should see, I think you should see for, at McMaster, for example, because they're in town here. The students that graduate from there, there should be something. Now, they don't all live here. They've gone back home, whatever. But those who live Mm -hmm. in the area, when there's a football game, you should see thousands, in my mind, of alumni who will come back and cheer Mm -hmm. on. You don't, though. You you see some. You see some. You see some, but you don't. It's not a widespread thing. You don't see on game day, you don't see people wearing their colors, even if they're not at the game, just because. And and that you do see elsewhere. In the States, you can fill 80,000 seat stadiums and 30,000 or 40,000 are alumni. Well, and we had this discussion off the air. It's about culture. And people come back because that's what they do on Saturday down there. And if they were a student there, not even an athlete, and I saw an interview a couple years ago about a gal and they were in a tailgate party. And the guy says, oh, you're from, yeah, I went to Michigan. And he said, well, did you marry a football player? No. Uh, uh, have you come to football games? She said, I'll tell you what. I never missed a game when I was a student here. And I haven't missed a game since except for giving birth to my children. We come here because this is what we do. This is, we're Michigan State. This is how we, we support our university. And I, but I've seen that. I saw that at Mac for, for a while. I've seen it there at other some. universities. There is some. And, I, and I've seen it at Brock in some of the sports. But to just hang some posters out and not engage is not how you build your audience. It's just not how, to, how, how you do it. You said an interesting word there, though. And I said we weren't going to, at the top of the show, I said we weren't going to be talking about the budget. Let me throw in one part about the budget, <laughs> although it's not really a budget thing. I don't even know why it was in the budget. Tailgating is now going to be legalized <laughs> in this province. Could universities, if they were really on top of their game and really smart, could that be something that they could use to try and start getting that kind of connections, even if it was for just certain sports for football or a couple other things? Let's make it a party and come back and see your buddies and then go to the game. Um, And I understand why they think like this, but universities have to be very socially responsible because those kinds of parties get out of hand. And interestingly enough, in and around Brock, um, on St. Patrick's Day, hmm. if there's a party somewhere, not on campus, but somewhere else in St. Catharines, and there's a street party, most people will say, oh, it's, it's the kids from Brock and uh, Happened Niagara this College. year in Waterloo as well with 30,000 people right. there. Yep. And, and so uh, people automatically defer to say, oh, it's got to be the athletes. Oh, they're out there getting, well, maybe not. That might not be the case. So to be able to control the environment, as some would suggest, is the right thing to do uh, and monitor it is much better than letting the, the dogs run wild. So from the tailgating perspective, I think if you do control it and you manage it properly, we, I mean, we did it at um, the Steel Blade game 
that we turned into a one-time game three years ago against Guelph. And the uh, hockey game. The hockey game. Sorry, yeah. it's a preseason game. Uh, Badgers against the Griffins. And there was a pregame tailgate party, very controlled. There were students there. There was staff. It was a wonderful time. And then inside they go. There were no problems outside because it was managed properly. The right people were in control and we had the right security. And you make sure nothing happens. You be responsible. You just don't go, well, let's go nuts. That's not how it's done. And interestingly enough, that's not how it's done in professional either. Because when you talk to people, and I'm sure you've been to tailgate parties in Buffalo and other places, it's not a drunk fest. It's a social experience that they show up hours and hours before they set up their barbecue. They do, you know, uh, toss the football around. They play touch football. Yeah, they have a couple of beers. And then they go into the game. But that's the kind of thing I'm thinking of. Can, can universities, is that a starting point somehow for universities here to try and bring back the alumni? Because once you get the alumni back in the building, then they get re-engaged. Then maybe there's no they question. Start, then they start to donate a little bit more. Maybe then you start to build this kind of thing. Yeah, there's no question. We'll see. Who knows? Maybe Doug Ford will be the savior of university sports in Ontario quite accidentally. Well, then make create some more dollars to go to sport and... <laughs> And make it a priority. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. It's been, what, two years since you were on The Amazing Race with Kristen? Um, Three years? I think... Four years? Well, let's not get crazy here. Um, I think it's three. Wow. I think it's three coming. I I think so. What season are they in? I have no idea now. A later one than you were on. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. So I wanted to ask about this because I, most people have no idea how this works. They only, if they watch a reality show or something, like Survivor, Re- Amazing Race, whatever, they only ever see the finished product. How close to the finished product is what actually happens? How much stuff that you do when you were watching the shows and how many times did you say, wow, they left that out and that out and that out? Oh, that they out. left, uh, Scott, they leave tons out. If you think about it and uh, maybe this is the best way to describe it, our, our first leg was two days long. We were 12 teams when we went in for, for our season. And it's a two-hour show that and night probably. No, it's only an hour was show. It was only an hour? Which means that you've got, what, 40, 45 minutes of, of TV, the rest of commercials or whatever it is. So you've got to fit 12 teams, two days worth into a show. And what they do is they find what's interesting and what's, what's compelling, right? There's so much you don't see. And there are so many great stories. I mean, I, I, you know, uh, I'll talk out of school just for a second. A couple of the things that I thought that were f- flat out brilliant, um, never, never got on the show. And a, a number of them that Kristen and I did together. And I remember at the end of the day going and saying, well, why would you not? This was, come on, man, sh- you show us at our best. Said, yeah, we can't because it would embarrass the person. It wouldn't be fair. One of them was we were in Halifax and we had Orange Julius and we had to, we had a bunch of samples and we had to identify six. And you, and if you miss you, you go, you go to the back of the line, right? So you, what you don't want to do is take too many samples because your mouth gets cold. Number one, number two is they all, all the, t- the flavors start to blend. So we went up twice and we, we knew we had four of the six. We were absolutely positive. So the next time we went up, I said, okay, Kristen, I'm going to stand right behind you. And we think we know what's going on. I'm going to watch the girl. I'm just going to take, I'm not going to take my eyes off of her. And I'm telling you when you put down, she will lead me to which two are wrong. And sure enough, she looked to the right. I said, because you only have 60 seconds. I said, flick, switch them. She switched them. We were right. Because she took me there. 
I mean, I just watched her. Didn't say a word, and Kristen's doing all that. So I understand why they wouldn't. And he said, well, we don't want to make the girl look silly. And I said, I, I, I don't. I didn't try to. I just tried to get the heck out of there yeah. and move on to the next challenge. But that's brilliant stuff, you guys. Come on, you got to put that in there. And there are other things like that that you'd never see. What about the flip? How many times did something happen? You go, oh, please don't show this. I hope they don't put this on the air. What flip? that you did something that may not have been so brilliant on the opposite side where something oh. was stupid or bad or you just, and oh, then you uh, went, oh, I hope they don't put that on. Well, what what for me was, everyone thought would be a no-brainer was TSN and the teleprompter. And I've, wor- I've worked, I've done a ton of television and a fair bit of radio. And I've never had, ever once had to read a teleprompter. Number one, that read it. Number two is something that I didn't write. So um, with the most confusing names, they try to come well, up with possible. Solomon, Elamimian, and all that. So, <laughs> you know, we're going through it, and again, you're back in the line, and everything's really close, and and people are behind you in the line, and they're reading it over, reading it over, reading it over, and you can't get a quiet moment. And you know, third time up, I went, oh, I got this. I nailed it. I sat down, and I nailed it. And um, who was it? Was Derek? No, uh, whoever the host was, turned to me and said. Um, no, you said you nailed it, but you finished on the wrong camera. And I just, and I got mad then, and, and I didn't get out of there for another maybe four takes. And everyone said, how can you not? Even the people at TSN and I was saying, how could you not be doing this right? Well, because I was pissed off at myself for a while there. And what you don't know, and I didn't know until afterwards, is all the other, your, your teammates are in another room watching. And Kristen said, Dad, I could see you after that third time. I knew I knew you were mad at yourself and you were getting more angry and stuff. It, it's fun to watch your partner. Not that much fun, but we didn't get booted, so it was okay. But Well, there was a, it was a year before or a year after. There was two members of the women's Olympic hockey team. And oh, the they shooting. Had a, they had a shooting. It was before us. And they couldn't do I that. Know. I know. And, and people who couldn't skate were doing it and they weren't able. And, you know, if it wasn't then, if it wasn't on a show with the pressure, they'd do it in a second. Oh they yeah, in a second. It, it's just those things happen, but the, lots of great things happen. You don't see a, a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, we've got a, mi- a million stories about mostly good things. Some things that we were put in tough situations again that they wouldn't show because of a relationship with tourism or the country we were in. But um, there is no better way to find out about yourself and your partner than doing something like that because when they pick you up and they take you away to the airport five days before and they sequester you and the only time you get out of your room is production meetings and to work out in the gym. No TV, no phone, no nothing. No newspaper, zero. So when you're on that, when you, when you start, you have no it's like access to it's, it's like being on a jury. Yeah, well, at least in a jury. I mean, maybe you can't watch TV there either. And they will phone home every few days to let your loved ones know they're okay. That's all they say, they're okay. When you signed up though, do they do all kinds of stuff? Do they ask you what you're willing to do or not willing to do? You do do a bunch of tests. um, What was the one thing you did not want to do? Do you tell them, oh, please don't make us go deep sea fishing? I mean, I don't know. Well, no, yeah, I wish we had. um, (laughs) No, I I knew to begin with, I wasn't going to identify something I didn't like. As a matter of fact, if I'd really been sharp, I would have identified things I liked to do and said <laughs> Did I didn't, and I didn't like to do. Well, they ask you. The, I mean, there's 150 questions a couple different times. You have to do them. They send them. You do them online. And once you've gone through it, and you're if you're paying attention, you realize you're getting the same question six or seven times, only asked in a different way. So once you get onto that cycle of things, you you try to put yourself in the right light. But oh, I'm sure that it's all about finding cracks and. Uh, some of the, well, I, 
things just happen, man. I mean, it is, it's long, it's hard. Thank good to have, goodness they have days off. Uh, I wouldn't have changed a thing. I would have liked to win it, but I knew we probably weren't going to. And and I've, and Jesse and uh, um, what's his brother's name? They won it. I said to them flat out in an airport one time. I said, "Listen, um, uh, we're not going to win if you're still in this game. I know that because they're athletes. I mean, 27, 29 years old. Good lord." And I had said to other people, "Look, if we want a chance, this we got to get these guys out of here." And I say that with a smile on my face, but. I'm, you're there to win, right? How was it? Is it really difficult though? Because people look at it, and again, it's an hour of TV, and it looks like yeah, you're sweating and you're running around and stuff. But I mean, you've done lots and lots of things that are taxing. Is it? Is it? Is it truly difficult to it's do? A, this? It's a different kind of taxing. I mean, I've always, I've always found that when I see, and this is just only sports related, not in general life. When I see people struggle, I draw strength from that. So if when we were competing as a player, no matter what, if I see an opponent having a hard time because it's cold, that makes makes me feel better and I, and I, and I draw strength from that. So when we're in an environment where you hear people screaming and yelling and swearing at each other, Chris and I would just laugh at each other and say, oh, they're, they're cracking, they're, they're breaking down. We're having fun and they're going nuts. Would you ever want to do another game show? Uh, like this, I don't mean Price is Right, oh, uh, maybe. But I mean, I would you ever want to do show. something like this? Um, I don't know. What I would have, what I would like to see is my uh, my son Jesse and his partner Helen Upperton. I'd like to see them in this show. Well, they've Jesse's already done one reality show, right? He did Man Manhunter, Man Tracker, Man Tracker. Oh, uh, with Justin Cripps, yeah, I know. Yep. And yep. he said that was, and here a goofy thing. Um, you know who really work hard in that show? got to understand when Chris and I are a team, but we're really a team of four, not a team of two. We have a sound guy and a camera guy. And those camera and sound guys are bears. They do so much and haul those. And we're not talking about little handy cams. We're talking about the shoulder cameras you see in the news. And they are following us and they got to keep up. There's limits where we, how far we can go ahead. But one camera guy gets to me and says, I was the camera guy for your son at Man Tracker. I said, really? And we had a great conversation about it because you change camera crews every Every, every leg of the race so you don't get to know people mm. they don't want someone feeling sorry for me because I'm older The Scott Radley Show weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast Google Podcast and wherever you get your podcasts I'm Scott Radley thanks again for listening and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast it is free you will never miss an episode and also be sure you rate us and review us Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.